0: and welcome to the EDM Podcast episode 71, I'm Sam Matler your host and if you're new to the show this is a show, a talk show, podcast, interview series, whatever you want to call it, where I interview successful producers, engineers and interesting people in the music industry. Today's episode is with Slink, that is S-L-Y-N-K. He's a producer originally from Australia, now lives in Canada, and he makes uh, funk music, a bunch of different stuff, and we have a fascinating conversation. We talk about uh, how to get that funky or groovy sound in your music, and the answer that he gives to that is one that you're probably not going to like because it's not uh, something, there's no quick hack, actually. Uh, We talk about creative block and why he thinks it doesn't exist. We talk about Ableton techniques and tactics, the mistakes that new producers make and the purpose of mastering and sync's opinion on that. Uh, We also talk about music theory and and why that's important. So it's a great interview, very production focused. Make sure you have a listen, make sure you try some of the things out that we talk about. And if you do enjoy the episode, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can do that at edmprod.com forward slash iTunes. Finally, if you want show notes and takeaways and uh, more details for this episode, head on over to edmprod.com forward slash 71. That is edmprod.com forward slash 71. We post each episode as a blog post uh, with takeaways and, and extra stuff and other links. So make sure to check that out. Anyway, without further ado, here is Slink. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today I'm joined by Evan, better known as Slink. Evan, how's it going?
1: Pretty good. How are you? I'm good, man. Have a good weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for having me on.
0: Now, a lot of producers struggle to make their music funky or or groovy. Uh, And something that stands out in your music, it's kind of like this laid back, human, uh, not super rigid sound. What tips would you give to people who struggle with that? Or, Or what do you do to achieve that kind of sound?
1: I'm not really sure. I honestly just listen to tons and tons of funk music. And I think it's just like subconsciously in my brain when I'm writing music. Because that's all I listen to at home is funk music. There's this awesome radio station called We Funk Radio. And they just play weird funk music nonstop. (laughs) All kinds of uh, genres within funk. Like you got disco and all that. And Yeah, I just like listen to funk music and... I kind of just instinctively put some funk in there.
0: <laughs> mm, that makes sense. It yeah. makes sense. It's probably the answer. Like I, I think that's the right answer. Um, and people listening who are like, oh, yeah, oh, that means I have to listen to a lot of music. Yeah, it does. I know. I so mean, it.
1: the biggest thing that like characterizes funk music is like the swing and the groove and kind of like the the gaps between the sounds and things like that. And, you know, like melodies and chord progressions kind of contribute to how funky it is um, writing in minor and, you know, just bouncy bass lines, not really sticking to one note or, you know, like writing a song and you kind of like float around the one note. So you write a song in E, you sort of like go up to the fifth and then come back to E, like every phrase. And it's, it's actually pretty repetitive funk music. But yeah having a lot of gaps having a lot of gaps in your songs and that kind of thing can make it funky what,
0: what do you mean by gaps though? like what would that look like in practice? Because I think there's there's something to be said about like just using silence in your music or you don't have to have a note everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Like instead of just having like big long legato notes, stick to more like staccato notes because if you listen to funk, it's like, you know, the bass slaps, you know, it's very like, it's very staccato. There's not really long, like kind of sounds. Um, so that can contribute to the funkiness level of your song.
0: <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, so coming back to, you know, your, um, your background and your journey, you were making music in Ableton. Today, uh, you know, you're playing shows You're putting out tutorials what happened there? Like how did you get to this point where you are now other than a lot of hard work, I imagine?
1: I think the biggest thing that happened was just getting more and more into production. So like I said, I talked a little bit about putting acapellas on top of funk songs. Well, I started adding bigger and better drums to those funk songs and then suddenly I've got funk, drums and hip hop, acapella. Like and then I started adding baselines and then like the video thing I don't really know how that started Uh, I I guess I was just watching Mr. Bill's tutorials on YouTube and I thought I could like do a couple of tutorials here and there I wanted to show people how I did what I do and um, I made a couple videos I didn't really like it was just a hobby it still really is just a hobby just do it whenever um, but people seem to really like them. And then when I started to really give it a go, maybe two years ago, um, my subscriber count just kept increasing and increasing. And then companies like Ableton and Mixed In Key and um, these preset um, creators are all contacting me, asking me to promote their products and whatever. And I was like, what the hell? This is taking off. <laughs> I, was just having, I was just making videos for fun.
0: What does, uh, what does your schedule look like you know, on a given day, do you have strictly defined hours for production? Um, do you strive to put in a certain amount of time every day or week or do you just do what you want?
1: Absolutely. I, I used to just kind of do whatever, whenever, just sleep when I'm tired and eat when I'm hungry and stuff like that. <laughs> but it, it, you've really like, there was a turning point at, at a certain point and I was like, this is my actual job. This is my actual career.
0: That's cool. I'm noticing that more and more with um, full-time producers, you know, like waking up, getting to the studio eight in line and just doing the eight-hour thing. I think it's a good approach. Yeah. Um, Because I've also talked to people who are like, oh, yeah, like I wake up at 2 p.m. and then work till 2, and then there's just a cycle that goes on and on and on and get so tired.
1: I probably would do that as well. The reason I would do that is so that on the weekends – I'm not so tired because <laughs> you got to like yeah. stay up late and then play like you know I don't start DJing until like one thirty, and if I've been going to bed every night at 10 leading up to the weekend then I'm just super tired.
0: <laughs> the whole oh, I'm not feeling it today thing or creative block do you
1: believe it exists and if so do you get it? Nah I, I don't think it exists. I th- I think there's like Always something to do in the studio, even if you're not like writing the next hot banger. You know, you could be, you know, creating like doing some sound design or tidying up your sample library, um, just organizing your projects so they're all named and categorized. Like this one's almost done, that one's finished. You know, like there's just Mm -hmm. like maintenance work to be done. Like, you know, if you're a mechanic, you got to. If you're just fixing cars all day, then your tools are just going to be everywhere, and there's oil all over the ground. You've got to like clean up at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. So on the on the days where I'm just I have no ideas, I find if I just end up like going through my samples and sorting things out, I'll be like, oh, I, I just found like a cool sample, like, and, and then I'll suddenly get inspired, and then boom, I'm into like writing a song. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that there's a <laughs> this creative block kind of exists. And actually, like, I saw a really cool TED talk, and I know like TED talks are kind of lame sometimes, but this one chick was um, saying that inspiration is like this um, ghost kind of thing that, um, you know, like enters your body uh, and writes music through you when it decides to show up. And so, if you're just at the desk in your studio at all times possible, then when this magical fucking. (laughs) inspirational ghost shows up, then you're there ready to go. But if you're like playing video games and the inspirational ghost shows up, then, you know, you can't really get creative in a video game. So, you know, you just, you show up, you do your time. And then if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, at least you put in your time, you know, next day, let's go again.
0: I like that. There's always something you can do. You're like an Ableton whiz, uh, watching your tutorials and so on. What a two to three Ableton techniques that most people don't know about?
1: I don't know. That's kind of a tricky question to be honest. Um, usually if I think something's underutilized or not many people know about it, I do a YouTube video about it. I did watch, I did watch uh, some of the 10, what was it, 10 things wrong with your music or 10 reasons why your song sucks. 10, re- 10 reasons why your song really sucks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you said sidechaining.
1: <laughs> Yeah, was the first one. I I just think like if you're a if you're a beginner, then <coughs> excuse me, if you're a beginner, then you really need to learn how to use sidechain. It just helps so much with your mixdown. And I, when I first started producing, I wish I knew about sidechain. And actually, I did kind of know about sidechain, but I didn't know how to use it right. Um, so I just didn't use it, and I just would slap a limiter on master and everything would just get smashed together (laughs) and you can really hear it in my music you know now the drums are so much more in your face in my songs and like back in the day they were kind of sitting in the background yeah I just think more people need to learn um, and understand you know the benefits of sidechain
0: I like that anything else
1: the other big thing that I always see um, beginners mess up And just like even people that have been producing for ages is they just don't know how to utilize the warping algorithms to their fullest potential. Things sound so much more clear when you use Beats mode because it's not actually um, doing any sort of destructive time stretching. It's literally just cutting the sample into chunks and then spreading those chunks apart or compressing those chunks together. And so you don't lose any quality. So... You know, like if I'm writing a song and I'm doing a a bootleg or a remix or something, I'll try and take a song and then speed it up so that when I do warp it using the beat markers, I'm not creating any gaps between the chunks. I'm compressing the chunks so that the chunks um, sort of overlap each other and you just get the highest quality sound. Because a lot of people just shoot straight for like complex. Yeah, and that totally destroys the clarity and all the high end and stuff. What do you say? It's like the lazy approach. It's definitely the lazy approach. I'm sitting here like meticulously moving every single transient marker. And these other guys just drag a song and click complex. And then they're like, done. <laughs> but it's, it can sound so much better.
0: Yeah. And no, I've noticed that. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely uh, that guy who just will click complex. But to be honest, like I hardly, <laughs> I hardly ever, um, use it at all. Um one other thing that you know we talked about before we started recording was mastering, which I think as like I don't know how this still happens, but a lot of beginners think that mastering is going to fix everything. Um they think that's what will make their music sound professional, which is obviously not true. Why do you think that kind of thinking exists for starters and what should people do instead?
1: I think it's just like, a, you know, they, they have the definition of the word mastering wrong. You know, they don't understand there's two steps to taking your song from the writing process to the completed process or, you know, a completed product, not the process. <laughs> you know, there's two steps. You write the song, then you mix down the song and then you master it. And these dudes are just writing songs and then mastering them. And they're totally forgetting the mixdown process, which is probably the most important part of getting your song sounding good. You know, a mastering engineer is not going to sidechain your drums to your bass A mastering engineer is not going to EQ your saxophone so that the lows don't clash with the bass line. You know, these are all things that you do in the mixdown process, unless you're paying someone to do the mixdown for you. then. Don't don't be sending your song to a mastering engineer and expecting them to magically sidechain and EQ everything inside of this one WAV file that you send them. If you're sending a mastering engineer multiple stems, maybe they'll try and fix it a little bit, but honestly, it's up to you to, to learn how to mix down your songs. And a lot of the time, I'll mix down my songs and it sounds fantastic. And then mastering is just like, slap a limiter on the master maybe a little eq you know or sometimes i use a um multi-band compression and all the other work is is done in the mix down process i remember like you know some beginners saying to me like oh so and so has got this amazing mastering chain what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> you mean he's got a limiter or an eq like it, you know, I, I just don't fucking get it.
0: <laughs> People want a quick fix.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just want to pay someone to fix it.
0: I think the other thing is like, if you send your song, if you're a beginner and you don't know about this psychological thing or psychoacoustic, but you send your song to a mastering engineer and maybe it's like hitting at minus 60 B. They send it back, hitting at, you know, minus, well, zero, it's hitting the, hitting the limit it's going to sound way
1: better because it's louder. I think people need to be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People need to fucking figure that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: I'm, I've talked to artists like big, big time artists who some of them don't even really master. They like, they'll do it themselves. They'll just chuck a limit on and then it's like, yeah. they'll, they'll play it out. It's good enough to play out. Maybe for the commercial release, they get a mastering engineer, but it's not necessary. It's kind of just done because it's, that's what's done. Not saying that that's the right approach,
1: but... Having a fresh pair of ears, like, listen to it and be like, oh, there's way too much highs on this. Or I find, like, having someone else master your songs when you have a whole album or an EP, you want all the songs to sort of have the same amount of impact. And exactly. so, like, a mastering engineer can listen to all five of your songs or whatever and sort of get them to so- all sound sort of consistent. Also, having... Uh, like you can, you can be an amazing um, producer and, and write an amazing song um, and not know anything about mixing down and mastering. And you can go ahead and pay someone to mix down and master your songs if you're loaded with cash or whatever. But having at least a basic knowledge of how a mix down is done in your song can lead to more convenient decisions during the songwriting process that makes the mix down sound better what would be an example of that a perfect example is say you've got like um a house song you're writing a house song and you have got like kick drums going if your songwriting decision is to put a bass line at the same time as every single kick like a short staccato bass line, then the mastering engineer or the mixdown engineer is going to have a real hard time sort of making both the kick and <clears throat> the baseline shine in the mix but if you make a small decision to offset the baseline from the kick drum, suddenly both sounds have their own little space in time and they can really punch much louder. You know, just small decisions like that can like affect your mix down in the end. So if you have knowledge of of mixing down, what, what you need to do to get it to a point where it's playable and releasable, maybe you'll make some different decisions during the writing process.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that was one thing that took me way too long to learn you know oh if i if I stack this chord really high and if I use a lot of layers, I can't put anything else here. yeah, so that's a decision like that's there's always trade-offs, you know, like if you do one thing, you can't do the other. So are there any other common mistakes that you see newer producers making?
1: If your song is going to be really long, make some different shit happen during the song. Don't just have it like the same loop all the way through or now you bring in a hi-hat or something, you know, like put yourself in the position of the listener and are you going to be holding that listener's attention span for the entire 12 minutes of your song? Like maybe it's a cool song. You can have cool songs that are 12 minutes long, but some cool stuff needs to happen. You can't just be riding the same drum loop all the way through, you know, riding that same bass line, like change the bass line. Me personally, that actually blows the hell out of me. You know, I need like a chord change or some cool different drums or different sounds, you know, keep it moving. I'm I'm a producer too. I know how you made those sounds, so just surprise me with something different.
0: You have a tutorial on what makes a song catchy. Uh, and I watched it. I thought it was great. I watched it ages ago though, I think, when you put it up. Everyone listening to this should go and watch that. But even, can you summarize the
1: that video for us? What makes a song catchy? It's been a while since I watched the video back myself, and it's kind of hard for me to remember what I said. But I think the main idea was to sort of carry, like, have sort of a revolution in your in your like chord structure. You know, where the last chord of your phrase leads nicely into the first chord. And maybe your first chord isn't the root note, you know, the root note's somewhere in the middle and it all just kind of like revolves and carries on and, and things like that. A lot of pop artists are like writing their vocals, the melodies for their vocals um, higher up on the scale. So say you're writing a, a, a song in C minor, they, they will write their vocal melody in g major i think because g major is kind of like has a lot of the same notes as c minor but it's a fifth up so when you hear like pop songs and they've got that oh 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 oh, oh," on top it's always like a fifth up from the root note and i think that's like a trending sort of thing right now but i I think that kind of makes your song catchy if you want to write pop music that sounds like shit anyway (laughs) (laughs) but you know like that's one thing to think about. Don't like if you know, your vocals are the same pitch as your root note, it's a little bit boring. So they're just trying to spice it up a bit, I suppose.
0: I've got uh, two more questions and then we'll wrap up. How important is music theory in your opinion?
1: I think it's pretty important. Um, It's extremely important. Actually, you know, you've got to be able to speak the language of music if you wanna be able to tell a story with your song. Like you can get by not knowing too much musical theory, but you're gonna sound like a tourist with a phrase book, like, oh, oh, uh, excuse me, you know. You're gonna sound like a little bit like, like your English is a little bit broken. If you can fluently speak in the language of music, then you know, you can tell a, a much more detailed, intricate story with your song. And I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I'm at all fluent in music theory. I really try my best. Um, I got a friend who comes over a lot and he's like amazing on the guitar. And he, he's he been helping me with some of my newer songs that haven't been released yet with the chord progressions and stuff. And he's really opening my eyes to um, how shit I am at music theory. <laughs> It's a never ending journey though. There's so much to learn. There's a lot to learn and it's, it's kind of like boring to learn as well because you just want to, when you hear something that sounds good, you should be asking why does that sound good? And sometimes the answer isn't always clear unless you have like a very, very fluent knowledge in musical theory. But I, I try to analyze other songs and, and figure out why that chord progression works so well why it feels so nice or feels so jazzy or why does that chord sound like a question? And then there's an answer afterwards kind of thing. So I'll try and brush up on my musical theory, but I really wish that um, I, I learned more musical theory when I was younger. Okay.
0: One, one more question. Uh, you're walking down the street, uh, getting a coffee, you drink coffee, anything, whatever, you're just walking down the street and A UFO comes down and these aliens pop out, super ugly. And they say that they're going to abduct you, but they leave you, uh, they give you a piece of paper and a pen. And they say, you can write three pieces of advice uh, to leave behind for the world. Doesn't have to be production related. What's on that piece of paper?
1: Oh man, that's a tricky question. Doesn't have to be music production related. It'd be easier if it it had to be music production related. (laughs) Uh, I guess like one kind of, um, mantra I have is like, don't be so money driven, you know, like time, time is worth more than money. That's one thing that I always find myself saying to myself, I have so much time to just experiment on music or do whatever I like really. And I feel blessed for that. And I, I think I see my friends who have like full-time jobs and they just live in for the weekend and. I really don't want to be, I really don't want to live my life like that. I really want to just have a lot of time to do things that I enjoy, you know? And so, yeah, I guess I'd write time is worth more than money. Yeah, I think the other piece of advice I'd put on there, production wise, would be not sit down and and write a song every time. 90% of your time should be spent not writing a song, you should be doing things like understanding how your synthesizer works you know, tidying up your files um, doing small things like today I'm going to write drums, just cool drums today I'm going to write just cool chord progressions today I'm going to figure out a a cool chord progression and I just bought a new synthesizer and I'm going to read the manual, you know things like that, 90% of the time, and then 10% of the time once you've built up all this knowledge and collections, you know, putting away these drums and stuff that you've been making, then you sit down and write a song. The reason I think that's the way to go is because when you're writing a song, I think momentum is really, really important. Writing a song is like, I don't know, like a train going up a hill. (laughs) It's like a struggle at the start. You, You got this empty project and you're like climbing this hill and then you just reach this point where you're at the top of the hill and you're like, you've got everything there ready to go and you just know that you can make this into a full song. And that's the downhill part.
0: I like that, that's that's an awesome approach. Uh, Even thanks Heats for taking the time, really appreciate it. Where can people find you online if they wanna learn more about you, listen to your music and so forth?
1: Just search Slink, I'm on everything like SoundCloud. You can listen to all my music on SoundCloud, You can listen to all my music on Spotify, you can listen to all my music on YouTube, and you can watch all my Ableton tutorials on YouTube as well. And uh, I also got some merch for sale sometimes, if you go to my Bandcamp. And uh, actually, pretty cool, I got this thing on my Bandcamp where if you give me $20 every year, you get every song that I have, have ever released in the past And then every song that I will release in the future.